The definition of sin. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act or attitude or nature. Right away when I say that, we're differing with people's general idea of sin when they think sin is stealing or murder or adultery or something like that, and they just focus on actions. Uh, but the Bible's definition of sin is broader than that, act, attitude, or nature. With regard to act, there's a list of specific actions, of course, in the Ten Commandments, for instance, where God says, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, etc. But as far as attitude, even in the Ten Commandments, in that list of that fundamental summary of laws that God gave to the people of Israel, when you get to the end, after God tells them all these things, then he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, right there God is saying, I'm not just concerned with your actions. I'm concerned with your heart, that your heart would love me above all things and love the things that I delight in, that your heart would be pure before me as well as your actions. Because we read, for instance, in 1 Samuel that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so in the Ten Commandments and then throughout the rest of the Bible, we find that God is concerned not just with outward behavior and actions, that's important, but he's also concerned that our hearts be right and pure before him. And then also sin can do have to do with our nature or our state. Ephesians 2.13 talks about the fact that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That means when you're sound asleep and doing nothing wrong, you're still a sinner. You're a sleeping sinner, but you're still a sinner by nature. And so sin uh, extends that far. So we'll talk about that in a little more detail. As far as uh, number two, since God requires purity of heart as well as actions, it follows then that the desire to steal or commit adultery would also be sin in God's sight. The desire to sin also equals sin. Matthew 5.22, Jesus also affirms this. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now he's responding to those who just say, well, just God commands you shall not murder. But he says, well, wait a minute. If you're angry, you have the desire to murder your brother. And therefore, you have a desire to disobey the commandment. And so that's also wrong. You'll be liable to judgment. It, it makes you guilty before God. Um, and uh, Matthew 5.28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you desire to commit adultery, that heart attitude is also breaking God's commandments. It's contrary to his moral law. And so it's not correct to do what I expect to, the world does, and it's thinking about God and right and wrong. The world often, I think, thinks that feelings and attitudes are morally neutral. Well, if you feel angry, you just feel angry. If, if you feel jealous, you just feel jealous. That's just the way you are. You can't change it. You can't help it. It's not your fault. It's just your feelings. They're just kind of a given. They're just kind of, that's what they are. You can't criticize people for that. That would be an attitude, I think, that people would assume to be true, but the Bible doesn't assume that. Psalm 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Galatians 5.20. Look, there are some attitudes in there in Paul's lists of works of the flesh. Not only idolatry and sorcery, but also enmity. That's anger or desire to harm someone else. Enmity, strife, jealousy, and fits of anger. There's some anger that's right and some that's wrong. We'd have to go into that at a different time. Anger against evil and sin is not always wrong. But there is an anger that's just trying to just because of wrong done to us, that I, that I think is a wrongful kind of anger. And anyway, Paul mentions this among works of the flesh. So, so feelings and attitudes can be sinful as well. And of course, that's a struggle. Not, of course, for anybody who teaches an enrichment class. <laughs> well, sure it is. It is for all of us, isn't it? And just, I mean, even this morning, I... Man, and shouldn't feel this way, but and I love teaching this class. Don't get me wrong, but but about two hours ago, I was saying, "Oh, do I have to teach this class this morning?" <laughs> I shouldn't probably feel that way, but it was just—I came back last night and I was tired. And do you ever feel that way? Okay, I just do. You might even think, "Oh, do I have to go to this class this morning?" <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh well. So we just recognize it, say, Lord, forgive me. It's a privilege. And change my heart. Hmm? Work in my heart. And, uh, and there are all sorts of attitudes of heart that can creep in and um, get us to lose our faith, be doubting, be fearful, be angry, be contentious, be jealous, greedy, lazy, all, all these proud, lustful. I mean, those, those things are there in our hearts even as Christians. I, I think that God progressively changes our hearts over time as we, as we are Christians and we grow and we read his word regularly and we pray we stay in fellowship with other believers. I think God progressively changes our hearts. But we're not going to be free from those wrongful desires that are deep down in there um, until the day we die and go to be with the Lord or until he comes back. So, um, so we just have to recognize that. And that means that talking about sin is appropriate for us throughout the Christian life. It's not... A happy topic that we enjoy talking about, except as it glorifies the the moral holiness and purity and excellence of God, whose whose heart is always pure and right and good. And then we're sinful by nature. I I mentioned that earlier, but there is, uh, for instance, uh, Romans 5:8, one of the key verses that you know if you present the gospel to others. God shows His love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners. That is, we had this status of being sinners. It was our nature. And uh, Ephesians 2, 3, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we can make progress in the Christian life. And we are certainly, certainly forgiven sinners. We're justified before God. We're cleansed sinners and that 
the Holy Spirit has washed our hearts when we became believers, and there's a, a break with the, the ruling love and power of sin in our lives, and so there's a difference between us and non-Christians. I'm sure there is. But we're still, we're still not completely made pure sinners during this whole life. Okay. Now, I'm just going to mention one other alternate definition of sin. Let's go back to the definition I had here. Any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. So I'm saying the definition of sin is God's moral law. It's a high standard. It's God's moral perfection. And we don't measure up, but the standard is there. And anything that falls short of that is sin. But there's another definition of sin that sometimes people propose. And that's number five here on the outline. Sin is selfishness. Now, Fundamentally, this is a definition without any reference to God, is, doesn't, isn't it? See, it doesn't say anything about God or God's laws. It's just a kind of a human-centered definition. And it's kind of a, I suppose it would be a way that people could understand the doctrine of sin in a way that didn't even require them to believe the Bible or think there is a God or anything. They're just saying, well, people are selfish. Uh, and there are some people in the history of theology, uh, in fact, a man named uh, Augustus Strong, 1911, uh, a Baptist theologian, where that was his definition of sin. I think he meant well by it and didn't think it was something wrong with it, but I think it's a deficient definition. Um, first, uh, the reason it had some persuasiveness is it's close to the truth. There's some truth in it, uh, in that there's a lot wrong with selfishness. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We're supposed to put others first. And so um, there is a, there is a, a lot of uh, selfishness that is definitely sin. However, this isn't the way the Bible defines sin. Um, you don't see the word selfishness in the Ten Commandments or in Paul's lists of uh, moral rights and wrongs as a definition. And there's something else that's mistaken about this, and that is, honestly, if we look at the Bible, there is much self-interest that is good self-interest. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That is a kind of self-interest. We're to lay up for ourselves treasures that will be ours to enjoy later on. And I, I think it's right for us to do that. Although it is seeking something for ourselves, it's seeking it with the idea of obeying Jesus' commands, and it's with uh, our hearts set on heaven and set on the future. Even seeking salvation, don't you do that because you don't want to go to hell? I think that's a good motive. Uh, because you want to come to know God and be in fellowship with him? Well, that's a good motive. You want to be with Jesus forever? That's a good motive. You want your sins forgiven? That's good. I think seeking salvation is what we should do, but there's a lot of self-interest in that. It's just it's self-interest according to the Bible, not selfishness to steal from someone else or selfishness contrary to the Bible. Moreover, I think there is sin that's not selfishness in the ordinary way we think of selfishness. Uh, 
people can be very selfless in devotion to a false religion. Buddhism, for instance, people get rid of their self-desires and become kind of in a way very caring for others and things like that. Or uh, people could have selfless devotion to secular political or educational goals. Now, I just want to do good for others. I want to educate people or I want to help change my country. And they give of themselves. And they're not, I mean, you could say they're doing it because it makes them happy. And in that sense, maybe it's selfishness. But it isn't outwardly evident that they gain from it financially or reputation-wise in many ways, things like that. And so there is... But it's still a false religion, or it could be a secular goal that's that's not that's it's contrary to the gospel, for instance. Um, and then this view might, if we say sin is selfishness, then how do we deal with God seeking His own glory? God does that. He, he creates the world for His glory. He creates us for His glory, and that's not wrong. It's right because it's what God does, and He deserves it. Finally, and this is what I started out with, to say sin is selfishness really doesn't define sin in relation to God. It's, it's a man-centered definition. And I think we're better off, and it has implications later, we're better off if we say sin is lack of conformity to the moral law of God. And so there our standard is not our ability, it's not how we interact with human beings. Ultimately, ultimately our standard is God's moral law his perfect holiness, and that's the standard of the Bible. So the Bible has sin is lawlessness, that is 1 John 3, 4. I think that means it's it's against God's law. That's a definition, definition of sin. Now, point B, we come to a really hard question. A really, really hard question. Where did sin come from? Why is there sin in the world? If God is good and he's all-powerful, how can there be sin in the world? It's a hard question because there's mystery here, even when we probe as far as we can. And so what I want to do is say what the Bible says and what we can say about what the Bible says. And then we'll go on. Um, first point, clearly, certainly, God is not to be blamed for sin. Everything the Bible says about God says he's just, he's righteous, he shouldn't be blamed for doing wrong, as if he did something that would make him worthy of blame rather than praise, worthy of hatred rather than worship. We should never think that God has done something wrong. So Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, speaking of God as the rock, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Or in Job 34.10, the words of Elihu, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. And, of course, that's a theme in the book of Job. Well, Job, why don't you curse God and die? That is, he was tempted to do that, to blame God, say, God, it's your fault that these things have happened, and it's wrong, and you are wrong. And, and that would have been blasphemy against God. It would have been dishonoring God. Job resisted the temptation, and the book is given to us to show even in the midst of great suffering that we should not blame God for sin or for wrong. <clears throat> so it would be wrong to blame God for sin. Angels and human beings sinned by their willful, voluntary 
choice. And however else we understand the other parts of the Bible's teaching on this, we have to say that the blame for sin falls on angels who sinned and became demons, or on human beings who sinned and became sinful human beings. Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? In James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Don't ever blame God for wrong that you do. So we, 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 we nail that firmly in our convictions. Whatever else we think about the origin of sin, we must not blame God for sin. However else we understand the rest of the scripture, we can't abandon that. But point B, it seems consistent with Scripture to say that God somehow ordained that sin would come about but through the voluntary choices of moral creatures. God ordained that sin would come about. Well, you think about it. If, um, if our names have been written before the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Well, then God knew from before the foundation of the world that the Lamb would be slain. That is, that Jesus would die for sin. That means that he, he knew that there would be sin. He, he, he planned that. If uh, Ephesians 1.4 is right, he chose us in him, before, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. If God planned the work of salvation from before the foundation of the world, then I think we have to say, somehow, in his infinite wisdom, he planned or ordained that sin would come about. But he didn't sin. He didn't do wrong. We did the wrong. And you say, that's a contradiction. No. It's not a contradiction. The contradiction would be God ordained that sin would come about <clears throat> and God did not ordain that sin would come about. That's a contradiction. I'm not saying that. A contradiction would be God is, to, God is not to be blamed for sin and God is to be blamed for sin. Not, is. That would be a contradiction. God doesn't ask us to believe a contradiction. But a mystery is, God ordained that sin would come about, but he is not to be blamed. We are to be blamed. That's the mystery, how to put those together. We do not, then, as Christians, believing the Bible, we do not believe in dualism. <clears throat> dualism would be good and evil have always existed, eternally, in the universe. And we don't know which one's going to win. A lot of Eastern religion is that way. There's good and evil, and they're struggling, and, the, and there's the dark side of the force, and there's the good side, and you don't know which is going to win. That's dualism. We don't believe in that. We believe that ultimately, before God created anything, only God existed, and he was good. There was no evil. And so Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
I think that means that God somehow ordained that sin would come about. But there's mystery here, how that can be. Somehow God planned that it would happen. But Adam and Eve sinned, and Satan, Satan sinned, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and they're to be blamed, and they did the wrong, and God is not to be blamed. And there's a, dis, there's a, there's a distance there. An, an alternative is dualism, that evil has always existed, but I don't want to go there because that makes it equal to God. Another alternative, <clears throat> and this is a respectable alternative within the evangelical world, is that evil came into the world even though God didn't want it to be. But he had to allow the opportunity for it to come into the world. I, that's called an Ar Arminian view. And uh, many people hold that. I, I don't myself hold that view it, because I don't th see the scriptural support for it. And there's evil in the world even though God didn't want it to be. Well, that worries me a lot. Because maybe there'll be more evil in the world that he doesn't want to be, and maybe it'll all turn out to be evil. Who knows? And maybe even in heaven, there'll be evil. Even though God doesn't want it, it'll maybe creep in. So I, that, that one is really unsettling as well. So I end up saying, I bow before God and say, I think he ordained that it would come about, but he's not to be blamed. And I'm not sure more how that can go together. I'll stop there for a minute before I go on to Adam and Eve's specific sin. Do you want to talk about that? I'm not sure we'll ever resolve it. John? You said ordained, he ordained it to come about. Yeah. Are you saying he ordained it because he ordained the choice that we would have? No. We have the ability to make the choice. Yeah. I, I am saying he ordained that we would have the ability to make the choice. That's part of it, but I'm saying more. I think he ordained that Adam and Eve would sin and that Satan would sin. But he's not to be blamed. And I don't know how that works. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. Okay, John and I agree. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patty? Doesn't it just answer the question to say free will? Does it answer the question to say free will? Well, that depends on what you mean by free. I think Adam and Eve willingly chose. But if free means God let evil... God that evil came into the world that God didn't want, or he didn't know whether they'd choose evil or good. See, that, that gets more problems for me. So, <laughs> Yeah, Patty's just asking. And I, Patty, this is a, you know, a number of people hold this view, so I'm not saying it's absolutely wrong, but that God allows these things so that angels can see how just he is. Um, I think there's truth in that. He does allow it. But I don't want to go to the place of saying he wasn't really sure whether there was going to be sin or not. He knew what would happen. And I think in some mysterious way planned. But so that he's removed from it. And it was, a, it was our choice, not, not that he chose to sin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Daddy's back to just free will and let. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Wayne. A question about angels and sin. I maybe didn't take good notes when you're discussing angels. Well, he made the angels, I think, for to do his will. How do yeah. they sin? Yeah. How did they fall into sin? I think in a similar way to the way Adam and Eve fell into sin, they willingly chose to go against God. I think it was pride exalting, or Satan exalting himself, trying to be like God, being, you know, in his heart, rebelling against God. 
How do you do that? It's ultimately unexplainable. It's not rational. It didn't make sense. But that's the character of sin. Maybe there's somebody who knows more about this than I do, but I'm just yeah. saying that's all the farther I can go. It happened. I think it was under God's sovereign control somehow. And that comforts me in the end because I know he's going to deal with it. He's going to triumph over it. And uh, our redeem redeeming us from sin will result in his glory and triumphing over sin. It won't get the best of him. That results in his glory. So I can leave it there. It's hard, though. Yep. Yep, Bob. No. Wanda. Hi. Um, would you discuss <laughs> the difference between God tempting us and God testing us? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's intent. Um, tempting is is hoping or trying to make us do wrong. God never does that. T testing is bringing us into a situation where he'll see what's in our heart. Uh, but it's always with the with the hope or the desire that we'll do right and come. Go. Yeah, well, our attitude. But I mean, God, God does test us. He allows hard situations to come to us to see how we'll act and brings us through some of those. But he, but he never tempts us. That is, says, here, Wanda, why don't you do this that I told you not to do? Ooh, this would be a really good thing to do. I mean, that would be contrary to God's character. I mean, it even hurts my heart when I say, oh, God could do that. He doesn't try to persuade us to do wrong or hope that we'll do wrong, something like that. He allows us to be tempted. Okay, Clyde? No, God, did God create evil? Hmm. I, well, he didn't do evil. Um, Isaiah 43, 45 has a verse where it says, God, I create evil, but, but, but when we were on the translation committee for the ESV, one of our Old Testament members, Paul House, kept saying, this is really going to lead people to misunderstanding. And this Hebrew word, ra, that's R-A, R-A <laughs> with a, a guttural sound, that that can be used of just natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, and things like that, and um, and perhaps that's more what's in view. So, so um, I would rather say he ordained that it would come about through the willing choices of moral creatures. Okay, I'm. I'm not sure what it means to say that God created evil. Um, creatures did evil. That, that I'm sure of. So, well, let's go on to the sin of Adam and Eve. Um, and look, I said that was that question is a hard question. I let it rest finally in the in the sovereignty of God, and I have peace in my heart about that. But it's hard. I know that. And then you're free to differ with me on that. The sin of Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 1 to 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Now, God didn't say that, but he did say you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There's contradiction. Don't eat it lest you die. You will not surely die. He's contradicting God's word. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So there we have the first sin, right there in that paragraph. The first sin among the human, among the human race. She took of its fruit and ate. There's the first sin. There was sin of her heart and attitude just, just, just earlier in the verse, and then it culminated in that action. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Yeah. How long were they in the garden before they goofed up? I don't know. I bet it was just a day. <laughs> <laughs> Tammy thinks it's just a day. I'm going to go for a few weeks. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they hadn't had any children yet. So I don't think it... But I don't... You know, I don't know how quickly that would have happened, so we don't know. Yeah, Laverne. Well, God gave Adam the instructions. Yep. Yeah, God gave Adam the instruction, and then when Eve wasn't made yet, and then that's in chapter 2, and then he comes to Adam first, yeah. That's true. I don't know. I'm not going to get into the details here. <laughs> okay, the Lord God said to the serpent, because, and then, the, then there's the curse that comes. I'm going to skip over that um, just for time here. But note that the sin of Adam and Eve was foundational for future sins in several ways. And this sin undermined, in principle, all human thought about the important issues of life. First... The sin of Adam and Eve struck at the basis for knowledge, that is, true knowledge. It, it gave a wrong answer to how we can find out what is true. God said, if you eat, you will die. And the serpent said, you will not die. And Eve said, 
I doubt that God's words are true. Let me conduct an experiment to find out. Or else, Eve said in her heart, she decided God's words are not true. I will not die. She, and probably the latter is true. Probably the latter is true. She probably believed the serpent. She, she probably believed the serpent instead of God's words. And in terms of determining what is true, that's the foundational error. To believe human experience or observation or the testimony of other people when it contradicts the word of God. Believing that something else is a better standard of truth than the word of God. That strikes at the basis for knowledge and uh, in philosophy, epistemology. It's, it, it gives the wrong answer in terms of what is true, in terms of epistemology. And then in terms of <clears throat> ethics, in terms of moral standards, the sin of Adam, as of Adam and Eve struck at the basis for moral standards, that is the question of what is right. God said, do not eat the fruit. And the serpent said, eat the fruit. Direct contradiction to the moral commands of God. Eat the fruit and be like God. Eve trusted her own evaluation of what would be right. She saw that it, that it was good for food, at least seemed so to her. Looked good for food. Can't I make up my own mind about what's good for me? Aren't I a good judge of what kind of food I should eat? It looks good for food. And it's a delight to the eye. Why, it's so pleasing. How can something that's, that feels so good when I look at it be so wrong? My, my feelings about what it, my mind tells me it looks good to me. My emotions tell me it's delightful. Oh, if God made it to be so delightful, it must be good. It must be right. And so... Her standards of right and wrong are not God's words anymore, but her own feelings and thinking about what is right and wrong. And then it's to be desired to make one wise. Well, this is going to bring a good result. So her own sense of the consequences is, hmm, I'm not going to believe God in terms of what the consequences are going to be. I'm going to believe what it seems to me. It's the desire to make one wise. Wow, I'll just go ahead and eat. So... Epistemology is skewed by, by straying from God's word as the fundamental basis for truth. Ethics is skewed by deciding that my own judgments are better than God's moral standards for what is right. And then finally, Adam and Eve's sin gave a different answer to the question, who am I? Or in philosophy, metaphysics. What is? The question of what is. And, and what is the nature of reality? In God's sight and in truth, Adam and Eve were creatures. And they were to forever be subject to and obedient to their creator. And their status as creatures should have determined the fact that they should not be the ultimate standard of true and right and wrong, that God is the ultimate standard. He's the creator. They're the creature. They should be subject to what he says. But... Adam and Eve gave a different answer to who am I. They said, well, we want to be like God. We're not content with being creatures and subject to him. So this sin 
struck at the basis for true knowledge about all the major important issues of life. They're created as adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Created as adults. Go ahead. Um, I just said that I uh, piggybacking on what Laverne had said that because um, I had never thought about that, Laverne. I thought that was a great point that God told Adam not to eat of the tree of good and evil, and so Adam surely told Eve, and Eve decided not to trust her husband, whom God had given her as her protector and best friend and uh, for her to help him, um, she trusted the crafty, mm -hmm. yep. mo most likely beautiful uh, Satan yeah. rather than um, the very one that God had given her yeah. to protect okay. her. Good. Thanks. Jack is adding to this excellent comment. Pammy decided not to hand him the microphone. <laughs> you guys got that settled? Do you want to add something, Jack? And it didn't, the, the communication wasn't clear. Maybe it was. But uh, there wasn't sin before there was sin. So I don't know. I'm not going to go into that any further. <laughs> okay. So here we come to the question, then, why in the world did Adam and Eve do this? It was stupid. It was dumb. Why did Adam and Eve sin? It made no sense to disobey God. I think the answer to this is it was irrational. And I think at root, all sin is ultimately irrational. It didn't make sense for Satan to rebel against God. And it didn't make sense for Adam and Eve to think that disobeying God would bring gain. And that's a perspective that the whole Bible has on sin. It's foolish. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool. I'm trying to think. How does Mr. T say that? Fool. <laughs> the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Proverbs 10.23, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is a pleasure to a man of understanding. So all sin is ultimately irrational. And I'll tell you, we had, uh, since the last time I was here in this class, we had this tragic, tragic situation of this uh, student shooting and killing uh, over 30 students uh, in Virginia at that university. And how, how tragic. And commentators are trying to explain this. I don't know if you saw an editorial by Peggy Noonan in the Wall Street Journal. Um, but in the end, she said, there is irrational evil in the world. It doesn't make sense. It's futile to try to understand it. And I think Peggy Noonan hit the nail on the head. That it, it, it's just 
outright evil. And there is evil like that in the world. It cannot be reasoned with. It cannot be educated out of its evil. It can only be dealt with by the restraint of force. And so, ultimately, that I, I don't think we can explain the, the sin of Adam and Eve or the sin of Satan. There were some motives, but they were wrong motives. They didn't make sense. They, they, made, they made no sense. But sin, sin is ultimately irrational. You have questions on that? Do you want to talk about that? That's it's, it's hard, John. You know, it seems that it's a time frame thing to me. Sin so often that, that the short term looks good, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you're taking the long term mm-hmm. because Satan. The short term seems to look good. Mm-hmm. A man cheats on a loving wife, mm-hmm. and it, it's a maybe a, a sin of lust in a mm-hmm. short period of mm-hmm. time. And he's not thinking of a long period mm-hmm, of, of, mm-hmm. of what the consequences are going to be. Mm-hmm. Satan cannot promise anything for the long period of time. Yeah. All he can promise is eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a quick something to enjoy. And the quick something to enjoy goes away, and then the, the long-term problem comes in. Yeah. I mean, Je- Eve is looking at that apple or whatever piece of fruit that was. Mm-hmm. She was not thinking long-term relationship with God Almighty. Mm-hmm. I think there's that's, there's a lot of insight in that, John. That a lot of the deceptiveness of sin is looking at the at the moment rather than the long-term consequences. Um, the long-term consequences are believing that what God says is going to turn out to be true. And a lot of our obedience in the Christian life is, I don't want to do this right now, but God says to do it, and so it'll be right and it'll turn out in the end. There is there is that in our life because of the the slowness and sluggishness in our heart. Or this seems attractive for the short term, but but there, yeah, I think there is something of that. It says, in fact, uh, Moses, when he was grown up, Hebrews 11:24, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting pleasures, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a deception, and the deception comes in the short-term appeal of something that that turns to turns to bitterness, yeah, yeah. Then we feel bad afterward. There's a lot in the Proverbs about that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, a lot about Wayne, drunkenness. Wayne, Wayne, over on your right oh, oh, side. Okay, we've got another one over here. Um, doesn't Proverbs say that sin is pleasurable for a season? I don't know where it is, but that sounds like it does to me. I don't have the verse in front of me. Um, okay, similar idea. Okay, the doctrine of inherited sin. Let's see, we've got six more minutes. Maybe we'll... Let me see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wayne, while you're thinking about that, I'll share with <laughs> you a, a little writing that I have on my uh, uh, computer monitor. Yeah. And that is, you can choose the sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm just wondering if we should, uh, maybe we should start on this. I'm not sure I'm going to get done with this. Inherited sin, original sin from Adam. Maybe we'll just take a few more minutes to talk about what we've got done so far. Now, tell me your name again. Don. Don, yes, Don. Um, Maybe because of what you just said, this is an appropriate question. What, uh, What was the tree 
what was the fruit? Was it really a tree? Was it really a fruit? It was really or, or a tree. Or was it a desire? It was really a tree and it was really a fruit. I, I'm going to get onto this when we talk about the way Adam's sin affected all of us. I think it's important to insist on the literal historicity of Adam and Eve as real people and a real garden and a real tree and real fruit. We don't know what the fruit was. Um, you know, myth, the, the mythology is was an apple. Uh, it could have been a really good apple, but a peach would have done as well, I think. <laughs> really good peach. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. Don't know. But I but I do want to insist it was literal. So, yeah. What's your name? I, my name is Warren, and I, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking to myself that, and I've heard this nice lady over here and her her discussion and. Um, and I'm thinking to myself that in, in the scripture there, it said that that uh, Adam was with Eve. Yep. So I'm thinking that he's just kind of kicked back in the garden and he's enjoying this wonderful place. And yeah. He's not paying attention and they're kind of going yeah. along and yeah. and Eve just starts chatting yeah. like women do with uh, the serpent. <laughs> and and. Well, and look he's now, not, he, he's not, wherever we're, he's we're not he, saying there's anything wrong with just, chatting. He's that's just a good thing. I mean, no, that's great. I wish I could do that. But, okay. And he's with the flipper and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, but he's know. not paying attention. He didn't protect her. Yeah. He didn't take care of her. Yeah. And, and, and then yeah. ultimately, uh, it just seems to me that uh, yeah. uh, they just had one commandment. They couldn't even obey that yeah. one. <laughs> well, they did have fill the earth and subdue it, too, which is okay. So they had to do that. But, um, yeah, to, to her husband who was with her, right, down at the bottom of her six. I don't know how much to make of that. There's nothing more you can get from the Hebrew text than the English text, just who was with her. Very simple words. Whether he was right there next to her watching the conversation or whether he was 50 or 100 feet away uh, and was with her in the garden, I don't, I'm not sure. I know some people make more of that, saying he was standing there watching. I'm, mm, I just, I don't know that we can go any further, but... Uh, <laughs> But he was there somehow, and uh, and surely they both sinned. Uh, and there's surely culpability on both of their parts. Anything else on sin? Yes, uh, I oh, have something. Where am I? It's Over. Rosemary. Um, was it Satan the first sinner? Yes. And this was humans. This, this first is the first sin. human sin. Yeah. But we really don't know much about Satan's. Sin no, first no. Sin. There are passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah that talk about. Um, that seemed to talk about uh, a great angel wanting to sit in the place of God and be like God and make his throne like the Most High. That probably is. And then uh, Second Peter and Jude talk a little bit about this, about the angels that did not keep their proper dwelling. Um, so there are hints at that, but we don't know too much about it. Uh, again, rebelling against God's authority. Uh, John? Go ahead, thinking about, remember as a child, thinking about sin. And without God, I, I would think there really aren't any boundaries. And Ann and I were just talking about this on a walk when we were talking about this shooting and how yeah. horrific that was. Yeah. Without God, what's the boundary? Yeah. Yeah. That's another, I didn't bring this up, John, but I think it's really helpful. If we don't define sin in relation to God, we're left with a lot of the secular world today not knowing what is right and wrong or how you define right and wrong, because where do you get a standard of right and wrong? And it can all be reasoned away or rationalized away, and 
And, uh, and of course, then what happens, and it's happening a lot of the world today, the more powerful are the people who come to, who, who come to rule and to have influence just by virtue of force. When you don't have moral right and wrong standards, then force wins. And um, that's a very, that's a very uh, dreadful result for society. I, I hope it does not prevail ultimately, but, um, but I think we're seeing a lot of that today, particularly with Muslim aggressiveness. Now, they have their own sense of right and wrong, but theirs is, a, at least in radical Islam, a triumph of, by greater force in terms of ruling cultures and societies and things like that. Now, now they, have, they claim to take moral standards from the Old Testament, so I, there's a little different category there. But, uh, but in secular university, with not any belief in God, uh, it just turns out to who has the most power. Um, and people do all sorts of wrong things. Yeah. Without God, they cast, cast off restraint. Yep, I'm over here now. Did God... Oops. Woo! <laughs> did God cause the serpent to tempt Adam and Eve? I don't understand that the serpent... If God yeah. made the serpent to be crafty, yeah. does that mean that God intended the serpent to... I'm going to go back to... I forgot your name. Barbara. Barbara. I, I'm going to go back to what I said. I just have to... I'm looking for some language between God passively allowed it to happen and didn't know it was going to happen. I want something stronger than that. And I don't want to say that God caused it because that seems like he did it. I want to say he ordained that it would happen. He, he planned or, or, or somehow guaranteed that it would happen, but, but, the, but the blame is always to be on the creature that did it. And you say, I can't figure that out, and I say, I can't quite figure it out either, and maybe until we get to heaven we won't know more than that. Let's... Judas is responsible. Yeah, okay. I can't solve that today. Let's stand and sing when we walk with the Lord uh, in the light of his word. Okay.